Sick Boy Wolfgang Productions presents The Offering with Jerry Horror. A deep dive into the history of film and its filmmakers. Mostly horror, always genre. You've seen these guys at all the horror shows and comic cons. Now you can get your very own inked up merch, the finest in embroidered horror and sci-fi themed merchandise. From Lost Boys to Street Trash, from Chopping Mall to Cobra Kai, Inked Up has the best in embroidered beanies, baseball caps, and patches. Now they've even got their own Jaws-inspired Amity Island board shorts. You gotta take a look, these things are cool. Visit their Etsy store at etsy.com slash shop slash inked up merch. Are you looking to get your own printed or embroidered merch? Inked Up has been in business for over 10 years. Whether you're looking for merch for your band or you need crew logo shirts and hats for your first film production, you need some sick looking perks for your Kickstarter project, Inked Up can accommodate your needs with their custom silkscreen printing and embroidery services. Visit inkedupmerch.com and tell them Jerry sent you. Nose Best Candles is a soy wax candle company owned by two Long Island natives turned Manhattanites. They hand pour small batches of cheeky candles that inspire the euphoric feeling of synesthesia. Each candle pairs an enchanting dual fragrance with a curated Spotify playlist to help you set your mood at home. Not to mention, the names of these candles are a conversation starter themselves. Best sellers include Bitch Goddess, Mountain Daddy, and Send Nudes. Their 2021 limited edition Halloween candle is named OMG I'm Dead. That's my favorite. The perfect scent to burn while enjoying your favorite horror podcast. Enjoy 10% off your candle haul this fall using the code JerryHara10. You can shop on nosebestcandles.com. Again, 10% off any purchases using Jerry Hara 10. Welcome to The Offering with Jerry Hara, the show where we can have a quiet and frank discussion as adults about the things that matter to me, or at least that I think matter to me. Please take a moment to subscribe to our show wherever you get fine podcasts. And hey, stay up to date on future episodes. This week on The Offering, everybody loves a good trilogy. Scream 3. And friends beyond the binary, it's your old pal Jerry Hara. And this week on The Offering, the one you have been screaming for, we continue with the Scream franchise, probably the most screwed up in the entire franchise. We'll get into that. Let's talk about hype. Hmm, hype. What is hype? Well, there was a music video director named Hype Williams, and I'm showing my age, made stuff for Nas, DMX, everybody in hip hop, everybody from Missy Elliott. Buster Rhymes, iconic music video director hype. No, what hype really is, is the internet clamoring on and on. Uh, Sometimes you go on Twitter 
and it just becomes this big echo chamber. It's the same people talking about the same things over and over again. I experienced that a lot in horror Twitter. Once people, like the current obsession this week is the new Mike Flanagan project that's on Netflix, Midnight Mass. Sorry, folks, with, with the generic ass titles, this, I'm sorry, I'm only a couple episodes into it and everybody's all upset at me and I haven't watched it, but every fucking day I've heard about this Midnight Mass. Why is Jerry not watching Midnight Mass? Dude, people got to understand, like, I watch TV a lot of times the way that I consume music. It depends where my mood is, my emotion is. The other night, I just wasn't feeling it, dog. So I put on Stuber. Yes, that Stuber. I just like Kumal Nanjani, and I like Dave Batista. It's a bad movie, but I needed a laugh. You get what I'm saying? I watch so much horror. I, I take in so much horror content. Speaking of which, the reason I was going to talk about this was hype. Talk about some serious hype. There is this new film, Scott Derrickson. You know Scott Derrickson. The Black Phone. Okay. Everybody's talking about the black phone. There is a one sheet with Ethan Hawke as some kind of demented killer. Tom Savini designed the mask. It is incredible. Take a look at this. If you're by the Google machine, look up the black phone. So we were supposed to get it January 28th, 2022, but now we're getting it February 4th. I guess they think it's a better time to release it is what it is. The reason everybody's talking about this movie is that Ethan Hawke is this mysterious villain. Uh, and I don't know what this movie's about. I don't want to know. Talking about this before, about trailers just giving away too much. These campaigns, first trailer, second trailer, teaser trailer, first trailer, second trailer, third trailer, final trailer. And then they give you scenes. They give you 15 to 30 second scenes. In some cases, they're giving away the first 10 minutes of the movie just to get your ass in the door, whether it's streaming or whether it's at your cinema. This movie, The Black Phone, though, man, obviously it's iconic. Once you see this mask by uh, Tom Savini, it's cool. But the reality of this project is sometimes there's, there's kind of like, because Ethan Hawke is a very attractive dude, okay? He's very affable. He has, you know, there, there's certain stuff you can see him doing, you know, even in like training day, one of his most iconic roles. Nobody could see him breaking bad. And that that's kind of the secret here. That's basically what worked so well for Brian Cranston was he was he was the father. Malcolm in the middle. Nobody would see him as Heisenberg. So to see Ethan Hawke as a horror villain warms a small part of my heart, maybe even bring a tear to my eye. But the hype for this film, everybody is talking about it. And anybody who's been able to see footage or was able to see a, a sneak preview of it through the festival circuit, they're like, this, this movie's dynamite. This is the next big thing. So you're going to be looking for the black phone. Now, speaking of phones... Oh boy, let's get in the way back machine, folks. We're going all the way to the year 2000. And we're going to visit Scream 3. Now, 
for whatever reason, studios, it's obviously, it's a money thing. Studios love trilogies. They always have. Uh, it allows them to sell more product. It allows them to sell more stuff as far as television production goes. You know, like, hey, why, why take the first Star Wars when you can have the other two? And then the studio makes more money. So more movies, more money, a trilogy. You don't have to worry about it losing any kind of street cred or getting too ridiculous. You got your perfect three. Well, we all know it's 2021 now, and Scream was not a trilogy. They made a four, and now we got a fifth one coming out. But first, let's go back to the year 2000. In fact, let's go back to the year 1999 and figure out what went wrong with Scream 3. I have a theory and an absolute belief. Some movies should have never left their era. It's very difficult for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre to leave its era. Even though we got a brilliant sequel, it's very much tied to that time and aesthetic. It's the same thing with Friday the 13th and a Nightmare on Elm Street series. They are in their prime and working and firing on all cylinders when they are within the 1980s. And that brings me to Scream and the Scream franchise. Scream 3 was ostensibly to be put out in 1999, but we didn't get it until early 2000. And there's a reason, folks. I don't think that the Scream franchise was meant to leave the 90s. I think the first film is brilliant. I think the second film is goddamn pretty good for a sequel. But this is where it all goes wrong. When I started this podcast, this was the episode that I wanted to give people. It had been gestating in my head. I I wasn't quite sure of how I was going to do it. Here we are all these episodes later. And now it's finally all crystallized and makes complete sense to me. So, I want to thank you. If you're a new listener, welcome. This is a little bit different. You're just hanging out with me. It's low stakes. It's low pressure. Scream 3 is the victory lap. It's it's the victory lap. It's basically like, yeah, we did the first one, you know, killed it. It was mad influential. And the second one is like, yeah, we killed it again the next year. And the third one is like, come on, we're the best franchise out there. It's kind of what it is. Everybody wants a trilogy. Studios love trilogies. It's easy to sell them. It's easy to sell to television uh, for the most part. If, if you're looking to sell a film to TV, hey, why not get three? Everybody likes more. They'll pay you for all three. Hey, I'll tell you, we'll give you a break on it. You're still spending more money. It's more content. You know, everybody loves more content. So in 1999, 98, a lot of these websites started popping up and they were just like fan sites. And all they talked about was like scream fan fiction. We have friends. I, it's funny because I've I've have actually more than a couple of friends that wrote Scream fan fiction. The audience was again ninety seven. You have Scream two in December. Uh, the next year you have H two O. 
but everybody's waiting for this Scream 3. What are they going to do? Turnaround time wasn't as quick for this film. I mean, that that's just to be honest. The World Wide Web, crazy for Scream. Speculating, what will this next sequel be all about? It's a good question. In its time, well, on quick time for that matter, Scream 3 was the most downloaded trailer of the day. Millions upon millions upon millions. And no one could have seen it coming. People were hot for this film. The burgeoning presence of the internet. Don't forget that home video market was so powerful still, especially in the late 90s. People, if they didn't see films theatrically, they played on cable and they played on VHS, DVD. And we were getting to that point where pretty much every sleepover, girls and boys had a screening of Scream. How could you not? It was in the cultural zeitgeist. This is the part I didn't want to tell you about. I love Wes Craven. I love Scream. I love what he did. This is a bad film. (laughs) It's a bad film for a lot of reasons. The first Scream cost $15 million to make. Goddamn, it's inventive and it's tight. It It is a tight film. Scream 2 cost $24 million. Scream 3 cost $40 million. Double the budget of the first two. This film has explosions in it. The best things about this film, Parker Posey, Patrick Warburton, both of them know what film they're in. They know tone, okay? There's a movie with Parker Posey's character that I would fucking much rather watch than this film, and that is just a God-honest truth. Again, I love everybody involved with this movie, but this movie doesn't work. We're going to explore why that is. California Women's Crisis Counseling. My name is Laura. How can I help you? Laura, I do have a crisis. I've killed someone, Laura. Are you listening to me? Huh? Who is this? Just one question. Do you think it's over, Sydney? Do you? Now taking credit for Marine Prescott's murder. But we know who killed Marine Prescott. Billy Lewis and Stu Marker. I mean, they even told Sydney how they did it. Maybe there is a third killer. Guys, this was about cotton. We are not in any danger. We are not in any danger, says Candy, page 15. Who the fuck is this? Somebody who killed to know where Sydney Prescott is. What do you know about trilogies? Well, I know about movie trilogies. One, all bets are off. Do you want to have this conversation with a polygraph? Is that a threat, detective? It's a threat. You'll know it. Was that a threat? Here's how I see it. I've got no house, no bodyguard, no movie, and I'm being stalked. Because someone wants to kill me? No, because someone wants to kill you. So now, starting now, I go where you go. That way, if someone wants to kill me, I'll be with you. And since they really want to kill you, they won't kill me. They'll kill you. Make sense? None. You are dealing with the concluding tractor of a trilogy. One, you got a killer who's going to be superhuman. Number two, anyone including the named character can die. This means you sit. Hello? Hello? Gail, Dewey, whoever, um, 
call me back. I can only hear myself. I only hear you too, Sydney. I am not dreaming. I am not crazy. He was there in Woodsboro. That's not Woodsboro, Sydney. Looks like Stab 3 is back in production. You gotta be praying this movie keeps going. Part of it was that the world changes. In April 20th of 1999, the Columbine High School massacre was a school shooting and an attempted bombing that occurred. The perpetrators, 12th grader students, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, murdered 12 students and one teacher. Number of deaths, 15. Motive, inconclusive. We had a real problem in this country now because some white kids shot up their school. Maybe it was the Matrix. Maybe it was Stone Cold Steve Austin. Maybe it was South Park. But there was a genuine witch hunt at all media, whether it was video games, especially movies. We must self-examine because it's okay for people of color to get shot in schools, and that was going on for years. I went to a school that had a fucking metal detector. But now, as Eminem once eloquently said, now it's a tragedy. Now it's so sad to see. There was a point of self-examination within the media that occurs at this point. This is fucking 9-11. This is ground zero for film and for video games especially. Not so much books. You do whatever you want. Your grandmother wants to read about Scottish Highlanders taking young lasses, whatever. They don't care about that. Those books are horny, by the way. Very horny. Hey, let's get Kevin Williamson because that that's what you got to do. But now this is we're entering 98. Kevin Williamson's a hot commodity. He's he's directing teaching Mrs. Tingle, aka killing Mrs. Tingle. He's busy with that busy with Dawson's Creek. He's got a lot going on at this point in time. Williamson wrote an outline, okay, for Scream 3. And essentially in that outline, that's what becomes Scream 4. So what they did was the original outline that Williamson had given them, they didn't do. But Wes Craven goes on to make Scream 4 and There's a reason that he did it. I think it was to make it up to Kevin Williamson. In the original version that Williamson writes, it takes place in Woodsboro, and it's an entire cult of kids in the town coming after our remaining heroes. So uh, if you'd ever seen the French film, I believe it's them, it is essentially... Look, sorry, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen it, it's almost 20 years old. Whatever, get on to that French new wave of horror that started in the 2000s. Essentially, in that film, these kids are, these people are terrorized by a bunch of kids. You know, it's a bunch of uh, cloaked figures. And um, I think this would have worked. But for whatever reason, the real, the real monsters behind all of this is, is Dimension Pictures got to talk about it it's harvey weinstein bob weinstein it is what it is i don't even want to get into it 
There's been previous episodes where I've I've talked about my disdain for all of this. I'm going to get away from it. Getting away from it. Getting away from the negativity. I'm running away from it. Okay. So it was made by Dimension Pictures, obviously. They say to Wes Craven, okay, if we do another Scream, how do you feel about it being PG-13? And basically, Craven, who had come from making Grindhouse films, making pornography, come on, we all know that Wes made pornography. It is what it is. That's the way it was. He's like, we're not going to pussyfoot. We're either making a Scream movie or we're not making a Scream movie. And again, this is the reaction to Columbine. We cannot get Kevin Williamson. What do we do? We get Aaron Kruger. Right after he wrote Arlington Road. I mean, this guy, he wrote the remake of The Ring. Most recently, coming to theaters at some point. It's been delayed the most times now of any movie. Top Gun Maverick. He wrote Top Gun Maverick. I think he also wrote Transformers The Last Night. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't talk about that. Aaron Kruger is a good writer, okay? But this is my firm belief, and this is where everything goes wrong with this movie. This guy had an unenviable task because he had to serve Dimension. He had to serve Craven. He had to serve the stars. Everybody respected Kevin Williamson. This guy was, he was a hatchet man. He was hired to do a job. Everybody came at Kruger for rewrites. How can we lessen this? How can we do more of this? I guess what I'm saying is, out of all the Scream films so far, this was the one that was most tampered with. And remember, in the last episode, Scream 2, I told you all about how they inserted that shot of Ghostface. And that was kind of the beginning of things to come with this film. Uh, We'll get to that. So July to September in 99, they're shooting, which is good for a movie like this. You know, you probably need 100 days, right? They go back in January 2020 and they refilm the ending. And they said, this was another film just like two. It was the first of its kind. It only increased where this third script was leaking out to the public. So it just, it became another, how do, what what can we do for damage control? There's a fucking gang rape in this movie. Okay. What is this doing in this Scream film? We find out that Maureen Prescott has been pretty much passed around in some kind of a gangbang or, or orgy to that degree. Look, I'm not a prude. I'm into all kinds of things, but what is this doing in this movie? Tonally, it does not fit. It's fucked up. And this whole movie is kind of like the genesis of the Me Too movement. You can see in this film, it's about a bunch of producers that use and abuse women. And that's kind of what happened with Harvey Weinstein and Dimension and everything else they were involved in. And Tarantino was quiet and complicit. Kevin Smith was quiet and complicit, supposedly. Rob Zombie, Robert Rodriguez... That's the documentary I want. I want all those dudes to tell me what it was like in the 90s, early 2000s at Dimension Miramax. I want the dirt, baby. That's like that's what that's the documentary I'm going to get when I'm 70. Like Robert Rodriguez finally sits down. He's like, let me tell you the whole story. So and, and <laughs> just goes in, you know, not yet. All those guys want to work. They want to keep their day jobs. So they ain't, talk, they ain't saying shit. 
I ain't gonna tell you where the bodies are buried. Come on, Smith. Tell me where the body <laughs> Sorry. That's wrong. I like Kevin Smith. He's a good dude, but in some ways, you know, fuck him. Um, and you know what? Kevin would understand. As a New Jersey guy, he would understand. Say, Kevin, fuck you. It just doesn't belong in this movie. It's it's really way out there. A lot of you look back on this film with high praise. The Scooby-Doo-ass plot is comfort food, but it's ridiculous. The conceit to retroactively tie all three films together with this Roman character, it's whack. It's bad. It's kind of one of these things that they recently did with the James Bond films, the Daniel Craig films. Christoph Waltz was basically, he was Blofeld, he was James Bond's brother, and he's like, I'm the author of all your pain, which is a cool line. That's a cool line. It definitely stuck with me. But reality of it is, is you you retroactively, it's me. It was me all along. And that's kind of what this Roman character, that's what happens. It was me and it's convenient. And this is also the first movie where there's not two killers. There's only one killer and it's Roman. Now, don't forget, from what I've heard, they reshot a lot of this ending. Okay, look. You can go on the internet, you can speculate what they shot, but ultimately this film was, and that's another thing. The film is virtually bloodless. There's, you're not seeing, there ain't no nudity, number one, but there's, in a lot of these kills, it's just a virtually bloodless film. To be perfectly honest with you, I think the way to go about this movie was to just make it a stab movie. I, I know that's controversial to say that, but I think that, if you had written this as a stab movie, as a movie within a movie type of thing, and went a little bit meta, with Aaron Kruger taking over the reins as far as writing, it would have made it a little bit of an easier transition. But unfortunately, that doesn't happen. Aaron Kruger, he's stuck with the with the the task of having to. Well, what? What is supposed to happen in a Scream movie? Oh, can you write it? Can you make it a little more jokier? Can you put some... How would Kevin Williamson do it? Can you write it like Kevin Williamson? Because that's how I want you to write it. And that's basically what happens to this guy. And it sucks. You know how they say there's there's enviable and unenviable situations? This is definitely a no-win situation. Especially for Aaron Kruger. Wes Craven was, like, I'm going to be honest with you. From what I understand, he knew that there were mistakes. But at this point, he was getting points on the back end for this movie. They were cutting him in financially. So I think it, it was one of those things like, eh, we'll do another one. You know? And these, these like, years for Craven are important because he was one of those guys who always deserved the bag. But Wes Craven went through a lot of shit in his life. You know, he he got divorced. He lost everything he had. He had all kinds of problems. And uh, this was a victory lap. This was a way for Craven to finally cash his chips in and make some money. I mean, at the end of the day, look, art is great, but it's also great to be able to put your kids through college. You know, it's, it's great to be able to afford things for your family. So what do they do with this five-page outline for the two sequels that Kevin Williamson 
wrote, well, the second one got made. The third one just got discarded and became Scream 4. This film is kind of shocking because they knew that they had to make active changes in the marketing. You see the Cotton Weary character early on, and they were going to use him like the male version of Drew Barrymore for this film. So they kind of wanted to pull him out of the marketing, but it was too late because they'd already put it out there. So they were trying to keep the Cotton Weary thing kind of a little bit of a surprise. And that first trailer kind of just let the cat out of the bag. But this is what happens when people don't communicate, when you've basically just gone on autopilot and you're making product. Because ultimately, it isn't that what Scream 3 is, it's product. We'll be right back with more of The Offering with Jerry Horror. Monster lovers, young and old, living and dead. You can now make it Halloween all year round. The Gooligans are dying for you to check out their creepy comedy horror show now on their YouTube channel. Have you been ravenous for programs that are geared more towards your sick sensibility? Have you been fiending for horror and comedy so fun that it makes you want to scream? Well, dig no further. Full episodes of the Gooligans miniseries are available for you to sink your teeth into. And if you don't know about the Gooligans, it's like the monkeys meets the monsters meets Pee-wee's Playhouse. These fun party monsters exist purely to bring on the death of your life-sucking normal everyday TV show. The Gooligans follows the adventures of Boris Stein, the monstrous Frankenstein construct, Wolfgang W. Wolfgang, the likable lycanthrope, and Void, king of the slow zombies, joined by a cadre of your favorite cult cretins, including vampires, sea creatures, luchadors, and sexy go-go girls. Check out the full episodes of their miniseries now on the Gooligans YouTube channel, and have a scary good time. You're listening to The Offering with Jerry Hara. Got a question or story you want to share with me? It might be featured in a future episode. Email me at jerryhara at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at jerryhara. I'm also on Instagram. You can find me there at jerryhara. Rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts and you might find your review in an upcoming episode. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to The Offering. Now back to the show. This is where it gets crazy, and I don't really put much money into these aggregators, but I got to give you this because it's so shocking. 79%, well, let me start off. Scream, 82% fresh. Scream 2, 79% fresh. And Scream 3, 40% fresh. So it's it's a lesser sequel. This is a goofy sequel. There is a very Scooby-Doo feeling to all of the proceedings. I can't put my finger on it, but there's just kind of a, a goofy tone to this. The other problem that this film has is that it's almost at the point of parody. We've already gotten H2O. We've already gotten Urban Legends. We got two. I know what you did last summer. We've, we're basically getting the scary movie films from Dimension, from the Wayans Brothers. We're at that point of it's the third movie And it's been such a short period of time that we're on like parody, kind of self-parody and satire. 
It happens. It happens because when something becomes a part of the pop culture zeitgeist, it gets played out. It's just the way it is, folks. I I know, (laughs) you know, and then sometimes things got to go away for a while and they can become hotter. You know, they can come back around again. Martha Meeks, the sister of Sydney's friend, Randy, who was murdered while Sydney was in college. I told you they broke the series. Say it with me now, fans. When they killed Randy, they broke the Scream franchise. It's that simple, okay? You might not want to believe it, but trust me, it's very important. So we got Martha Meeks. This is a young girl from uh, Welcome to the Dollhouse. She gives them a VHS tape of Randy. Yeah, she's also yeah, she's from Long Island. Producer Pete, it sure is a small world. Yeah, so they get this VHS tape. And it is like the goofiest scene. The VHS tape is ridiculous because it's like you've got Gail sits on the couch and here, I'll finally address it. Gail's bangs are terrible. It was like one of these crazes where like people were getting baby bangs and then there was like the Betty Page kind of thing that was coming in. She tried it. It didn't work. She tried to make fetch happen. Those bangs were fetch. Did not happen. So we're going to move on, y'all. That's it. That's all I got to say. Like, I would kick her out of bed. I'd be like, oh, them bangs is fucked up. I cannot have sex with you, Courtney Cox. I'm sorry. My dance cart is full. They watch this VHS video of Randy, and he's like, you might be in a trilogy. That's how they were selling this movie. That was the whole point of this, was that this was going to be the final, the final scream, regardless of whether we could get Kevin Williamson. And that was one of those things that, even though I know he was doing the whole killing Mrs. Tingle thing, I kind of have my own feelings based upon all of my research. And here's my feelings on this. I think Kevin Williamson wanted a big chunk of change. And they were like, we got to pay Wes. Wes is going to get, you know, points on the back end. He's a big name to us. They're making all these direct to video movies with the Wes Craven presents thing. Dracula 2000. Talk about that later. Uh, maybe we'll never, let's never talk about Dracula 2000. Let's keep it that way. Let's, let's keep it 100 and never talk about Dracula 2000. Look, this movie was going to get made. They probably didn't want to pay Williamson. And that's the God's honest truth. This movie's expensive. You know, the other crazy part of this film is that as far as the Sydney character, Nev Campbell, she didn't want to be in this movie. She was shooting wild things and she was trying to really grow her career and move in some different directions. And her agents, God bless them, played hardball with, uh, you know, Dimension. And they were like, our star isn't going to do this. So they finally came to an agreement to split a little bit of her time from wild things, which was simultaneously being shot. And essentially the way it broke down was Nev Campbell was able to shoot for 20 days Now, remember what I told you, they were shooting for over 100 days, 20 days. So what they do is, and and this is very interesting that they do this. Sydney is kind of in the beginning. She has this whole sequence of events, and then she's a little bit in the middle. But really, the second act of this movie is David Arquette and Courtney Cox. Ostensibly, this is their adventures in Hollywood. It's almost like Sydney is a complete afterthought to this film. And I'm going to say this about Nev Campbell. And I love her. And I, I think she's a great actress. But 
in this film, she looks like she's sleepwalking. It's one of those deals where you know she's making wild things. She doesn't want to be there, but her people, her agent, her representation, they got her the bag for this movie. And 20 days. 20 days is nothing. It's a little more than two weeks. And you know she got paid a couple of mil. It's totally worth it. But this movie's more expensive. This is kind of like, you know, when a franchise starts to just get like, okay, this is going to be the studio version of this. It's going to be, you know, it's like the difference between Commando and True Lies. Commando is like very much down and dirty making filmmaking. And then True Lies is the polished, slick Hollywood version of it. This is the overblown big Hollywood film. And because of the Columbine killings, they had so many problems. They didn't want to set this in suburbia. They were like, no, we're we're not going to set it there, even though they had gotten this treatment. They said, we're going to do this film in Hollywood. And that's kind of why it, it feels like Gail and Dewey's big Hollywood adventure. It, it's just, it, it's a it's a different movie that they're in with, with Parker Posey and Patrick Warburton. I enjoy it. There is something to this film that has some comfort food, but I think everything that has to do with the brother and sister thing, because they're also trying to tie it to like Halloween. That's, that's the big, the big linchpin in this movie that Sydney and Roman are brother and sister. That's it. That's what we got. That's what we're working with. And then retroactively, Roman was the one behind Billy and Stu. And then he was also behind everything that transpired in the second movie. And now he's a famous Hollywood director making Stab. Come on, man. That's whack. You know it's whack. But you know what? There were a lot of meetings. A lot of hookers, a lot of cocaine, and I'm sure it was good for everybody at Dimension Pictures. So this film suffered because of the internet, again, badly, badly stuff here, okay? Three months after completing principal photography for Scream 3, the ending was refilmed when it was decided to be an inadequate conclusion by the Weinstein brothers. Originally, the ending consisted of Sidney easily defeating Roman, which led into an early morning scene of police arriving and then into the final scene of Sidney in her home. The production considered that this amounted to essentially three endings, damaging the pacing of the film, and there was also consideration that they should shoot some alternate endings to see what they did or didn't like. But again... They went back three months after the film wrapped and, and reshot. And look, that's normal. It's normal to go. I, I've said this before. Reshoots are normal. They're a normal part of filmmaking, television, the whole Megillah. It happens. Shit needs to get reshot. But because it's Scream 3, we know better. We know that they're reshooting scenes because stuff now is leaked to the Internet. But essentially, this ending wasn't good. It was, you know, it was kind of just a non-committal thing where uh, she ends up back in her own house and it's very kind of soft closing. And then they were going to do one of these deals where like everybody kind of got their own ending where like Dewey and Gail get their own ending, whatever. 
It, it just, it didn't work. It, it's bad. It's not good. A major addition. You see, this is the other problem. So they, they started putting this movie through, like they did a couple of like early cuts of the film and they were like, so what did the test audiences think about it? And obviously one of the big audiences for scream was young women. Young women said, Sydney should have a love interest and you guys, you know, don't kill him. So late to the party at the 11th hour, they cast Patrick Dempsey. He had been completely absent from most of the filming. So they had to go in and doctor in some scenes between him and Nev Campbell. And uh, basically what's funny is they shot when they shot, they reshot these sequences with Patrick Dempsey. They're, they're not even reshoots. They're just new sequences that had to be added to make it a little more romantic. He's not even in the, in the original cut of the movie. Patrick Dempsey doesn't even make it to the finale. It's just like, bye, I'm gone out of the movie. There's a lot of things that come off as very amateurish. But to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know. I think that Craven didn't know how to tie that up. It was kind of like, well, what, are, what is the ending here? Does Patrick Dempsey save the day? And I, I that would be a no-go because it's always about our characters, our, our heroes, and Sydney's our hero. We want to see her overcome the challenges, not McDreamy. We don't want to see McDreamy come and save the movie. Marco Beltrami did the score again for this film after doing the two previous scores. He experiments with new styles of sound production, and that's the other problem I have with this film. It's got some really weird and wonky musical cues that at times just come down as, as awkward. He tries to get a little too experimental, and it's like, nah, dude, you don't need to throw a 9-volt battery onto the piano wires. It's not adding anything to the proceedings. I have my theories on Marco Beltrami. And one of my theories is that he did that first scream and he got very lucky. And he was just doing one project after another for Dimension. And look, he, 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 it is what it is. There's also people that'll tell you, I don't want to spread any dirt, that Marco Beltrami ripped off other composers. But I'm not going to talk about that. So what did the box office on this film do? It set a record in its opening weekend in February 2000. It was the seventh widest opening ever of an R-rated film. It was only surpassed that year by Mission Impossible 2. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, it's uh, Mission Impossible 2. This is John Woo joint. This movie cost $40 million. We already know the inflated costs. Again, there's an explosion in this film. Um, <laughs> there's an explosion in a scream film because we're in Hollywood and that's what we got to do. Uh, the United States took in about 90 mil international, 70 million worldwide, 161 total. Not bad on par with the other films. I think that this film didn't deliver in a lot of the ways that people thought it would. There's things that just don't work. And, and I, I think it's from jump street. What is this movie trying to say? Obviously, we go into the character of Laurie Strode and the trauma, the trauma from H2O, the trauma from 2018. We're trying to incorporate that, that Sydney is this kick-ass heroine who has survived all this bullshit, but she lives out in the middle of nowhere and she's happy, but she kind of lives in fear. 
that's why one thing that I do love about this movie is when she opens up the gates at the end. It's very freeing. There's something emotionally that works. And they kind of, they leave the door open. But that whole ending was reshot. She's she's hanging out with Mick Dreamy, Patrick Dempsey. We get to that fourth movie. What what happened to him? Didn't work out. He's just gone. I, I love that, you know? But that's good. That's good, especially for a female protagonist. A female protagonist shouldn't have to be beholden to, you know, some kind of virtuous one love type of thing where it's like, oh, I can only be with Charlie and he's my true love. That's ridiculous. Women should be allowed to sleep around. It's uh, 2021. Be a hoe. You know what it is. (laughs) The soundtrack was done by Wind Up Records. This soundtrack is the one that I like. A lot of people don't like this soundtrack. It's got a lot more metal New metal infused. We've got System of a Down, Slipknot, Power Man 5000, Godsmack, Seven Dust, Incubus, Static X, and Cold Chamber. And some of, like, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Right Hand Red. Uh, Nick Cave even wrote a sequel to the song just for this film, which is pretty cool. He put it on his B-Sides and Rarities album. I, I like this record. I like new metal. To me, this had a way better soundtrack than Scream 2. Sorry, not sorry. Just one of those things. Even has probably... I I like this song, too. Total... This is a guilty pleasure. The Scott Stapp, Mark Tremonte, Creed, What If. Ooh. Yeah. That's how this movie was heavily marketed. They had those promos on MTV. They used to do them back... Not a music video, but they would do, like, a different commercial for MTV... And it would be intertwined with Creed and Scream 3. They're doing the big song. This is it. Big song. I don't know. Crazy person and noted actress Jenny McCarthy. She is she's like watching paint dry. She is completely intolerable in this film. They use a lot. They try to use a lot of this cast that's in this new Stab film. And none of it really works and comes off very tone deaf. And at a certain point, you're just saying to yourself, who are these people? And are they adding to the body count? Because that is all they can do. This is a broken film. It really is. And I think that ultimately the reason this movie doesn't work is largely because of the studio interference. Speaking of which, at the studio tour, who do we get a cameo from? Jay and Silent Bob. That's right. Jay and Silent Bob cameo in this movie. Is it meta? Does Jay and Silent Bob exist in the world of Scream? Or does Scream exist in the View Askew universe? I need answers. I'm sure that. And you know what the thing is? I could probably call Kevin Smith right now and he would explain it. He would tell me like, okay, this is the logistics of it. He would just break it down. (laughs) Just break it down. Because that's what uh, Kevin Smith does. My favorite part of this movie unsung hero and fan favorite of the podcast, Carrie Fisher appears in this film. And I love Carrie Fisher and she plays the part pitch perfect. This is my secret hope. This can I Jerry just talk now for a minute. I want to see the movie with Carrie Fisher and Parker Posey. To me, that's, that's the better movie watching them go on an adventure and figure out who's the one doing all of this. It's come on. And that's what I tell people all the time. I say, listen, man. I say, go back and watch this movie. 
go back and watch it. Don't don't be blinded. Like, yeah, I know. You saw it at your cousin's house. And you just got out of the pool. You were eating popsicles. It was great. It's magical. But look, if you like it, that's okay. You you don't you don't have to defend why you like or or dislike a film. You know? So obviously the big funny thing in this script that I think uh, was put in there as a joke. Parker Posey's name is Jennifer Jolie. Get it? Get it? Okay. Yeah, Jennifer Aniston, Angelina Jolie. Haha. Whatever, man. Whatever. I don't know who did that. I don't know who that is throwing shade, but obviously that's the way it was in the movie and Courtney Cox was a good sport about it. I mean, even from Jump Street, even if we just get to the to the basic uh, setup, Cotton gets murdered in the first five minutes of this movie. Okay, and that's fine. That's fine. But <laughs> the problem is, is that Cotton Weary is a compelling character. And again, you're killing him off. I mean, if you don't have anything to do with it, and this really is a trilogy, then it doesn't matter. The other thing, too, is in this movie, they introduce the whole thing with the voice changer being able to do all these kind of magical things. And that's where we start to also lose. It, it becomes very Scooby-Doo. And I get it. You have to, like, explain it. But, again, the movie just gets more mucked down by the lapse in logic. This is no longer the original film. Now we're introducing almost like a science fiction element to the voice changing capabilities. And I've heard rumors that in the new film, that's a big deal. I guess we'll find out if you're listening to this in the past, go to the future me. Wait, if you're listening to this in the future, go to the past me. Yeah. And tell me what happens. I like the Jennifer Jolie character. I think she's the most interesting part of this movie. Patrick Warburton is uh, plays her bodyguard. He's great. He's funny. He knows what movie he's in. We talked about that before. Really, you didn't need Sydney to be in this movie. But can you make a Scream movie without Sydney? Probably not. They needed... Basically, Dimension came to this conclusion that we've got Wes Craven. We've got Sydney for 20 days. We've got all the principles. It's enough to get it done. And they needed to get it done. And it finally came out in February of 2000. I didn't see it opening weekend. The first scream I saw at an early screening. The second one I saw at midnight, the night it came out. And the third movie? I don't know. I was just kind of disinterested. In fact, I think a lot of people were. And it's not Scream's fault. It's everything that was around Scream that aped off of its success. And then eventually leads to the satire stuff. It had ran its course. This film series, ostensibly, should stay in the 90s. And it's like kind of this weird omen that this movie was supposed to come out in 99. And then gets dropped in 2000. I'm not going to go into it. There's nothing that's like crazy shocking. Well, except for that one sequence. This was like one of the first movies in the series. And I always say, look, I don't know. It's lazy writing. It's supposedly lazy writing when you do dream sequences. Okay, look, there, I said it. 
she has that dream sequence. Sydney has a dream sequence of her mom. And it was creepy and it worked because it's Wes Craven. He knows what he's doing. There's some stuff that Wes Craven tries to do that's very cinematic, but I'm not even sure he shot it. I think it could have been second unit. This film feels a little more sedentary, even though it has a bigger budget and all this crazy stuff going on in Hollywood. It feels like a very safe Hollywood film to a degree. And that's what it is. The stuff with Lance Henriksen, you know, I love Lance Henriksen. I, I watch the guy sew. I don't even know how you sew, but uh, no, I'm not. I'm talking about like sewing, you know, like needles and crochet, that sort of thing. I would watch him do it. I love Lance Henriksen, but he's got nothing to do in this movie. And he's pretty much playing Roger Corman, which is fine. It's absolutely fine. I guess when I asked a lot of my friends and I asked a lot of my peers, I said, what do you think about Scream 3? Uh, it wasn't very positive. There are people who do enjoy this film, but for the most part, it's a big drop-off. This film was a turn-off to a lot of the fans. But I guess the studio got their trilogy, and at the end of the day, that's all that matters, right? Just getting the numbers and the product out there, because ultimately that's kind of what this film felt like. Just everybody cashing in their chips and going through the victory lap of the first two films. Look, folks, I want to come to some kind of a big conclusion with all of this, but ultimately, Scream 3 is just a bad movie. That's all there is to it. There's a lot of bad decisions that are made, and it shows. It shows in the end product. Look, the only thing I can say is this. At least 4 is a lot better, but not by much but we'll get to that next time. My name is Jerry Hara. I hope you've enjoyed the offering. Don't forget to find us. We're on YouTube. Find me on the internet. Find me. Oh my God. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I'm on all of them. I'm at Jerry Hara. And don't forget, write a review. Don't be afraid. Write a review. If you like the show, tell your friends. Share. It's free. Yeah, spend no money. You can help me just by being a good person. And that's all we can ask of each other, folks. So, Scream 3. No, that's it. I'm not talking about it anymore. You're going to have to wait for Scream 4. Thank you for listening to The Offering, where it's mostly horror, always genre. You've been listening to The Offering with Jerry Hara. I'm very sorry. Produced by Pete Bune. If you have a question or a story you want to share with me, we'd love to hear from you. You can email me at jerryhara at gmail.com or hit us up at Twitter at jerryhara or on Instagram at jerryhara. You get in the picture? Subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are provided for you and your family. I want you to enjoy. Just join us next time for another offer. I'm Tom. My partner Mike and I have been friends and co-workers for a long time. And at work, we're known for our daily water cooler conversations about TV shows and movies we are currently watching. Whether we're arguing over which Marvel TV show is the best or agreeing about which Netflix original movie is the worst, the pop culture conversation is always popping on Two Brothers at a Water Cooler. 
You can listen to Two Brothers at a Water Cooler on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are available. Subscribe and share today. This has been a Sick Boy Wolfgang production. Thank you for listening. 